This week on Enterprise Security Weekly, we're going to interview Zane Lackey from Signal Sciences and learn about some next gen. No, not next. I won't use next generation. We're going to no, learn about web <laughs> web don't. application security uh, in our Enterprise Security News for this week. John may actually have some kind of conniption or hissy fit or maybe all of the above i'm not sure but you're not going to want to miss this one we're going to talk about distributed ledgers we're going to talk about antivirus we're going to talk about how threat is the new risk and so much more so stay tuned for this edition of enterprise security weekly this is a security weekly production This episode of Enterprise Security Weekly is brought to you by IT Pro TV, an easy, entertaining approach to online IT training. Access over 2,000 hours of up-to-date, high-quality video content live and on-demand via Chromecast, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, PC, or your mobile device. IT Pro TV's premium membership grants access to all courses, transcripts, virtual machine labs, and transcender practice exams. Corporate and group pricing are available. For a free seven-day trial and 30% off the life of your account, visit itpro.tv forward slash enterprise security and use the code ES30. Are you worried about PCI compliance? Does your development team understand or care about security? Are you ready to face a breach of your customer's sensitive data? See the worst that can happen before it does. Black Hills Information Security can help you help management see the future. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to find out how a web application penetration test can mitigate the risk before you go live. Tenable Network Security, creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Jumpstart your security program today and evaluate Security Center CV, the continuous security monitoring solution. For more information, visit them on the web at tenable.com. Pony Express, check out their line of penetration testing devices, including the Pone Pad, the Pone Phone, and the Pone Pro. For enterprises, there's Pone Pulse, providing continuous visibility into wired, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth spectrums across all physical locations, including remote sites and branch offices. For all those hard-to-reach places, there's Pony Express. Visit them on the web at PonyExpress.com. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Enterprise Security Weekly. I'm your host, Paul Asadarian, broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island. On the lines of via Skype, Mr. John Strand from hey, hey. Snowy. Is it snowing out there? I'm actually, I'm at home. I'm at home. I'm in South Dakota. Nice. Yep. So excellent. Welcome. I'm prepared for the show, but I'm here. Hey, you know, we'll just do what we always do. And that's wing it. Cause that's how we yeah. roll, <laughs> which is just awesome. Uh, just a really quick announcement. IT pro TV has updated their course library. Uh, CCNA cyber ops. That sounds kind of interesting, John. I'm not sure if you've, I don't, uh, a cyber ops sounds cool. It does sound cool. Uh, I till operational support and analysis. John, do you, uh, do you, I till I do. I do the, I the, to the TIL, I, I yep. to the TIL. That's right. Penetration <laughs> testing, ethical hacking, uh, V nine. Of course, the all premium memberships being granted the highest membership level available is still in effect. Visit itpro.tv forward slash enterprise security and use the code ES30 and save 30% off for life. 
I'd like to introduce our special guest for today's show, Zane Lackey from Signal Sciences. He is the founder and chief security officer at Signal Sciences and serves on the advisory boards of the Internet Bug Bounty Program and the U.S. State Department-backed Open Technology Fund. Prior to Signal Sciences, Zane was the director of engineering at Etsy and a senior security consultant at ISEC Partners. Zane, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, you guys. Excited to be here. It's what we're excited to have you on, especially when I realized you were the director of engineering at Etsy. And in doing these shows and covering security technologies, I had always heard about this, like, these mythical oracles at Etsy and how they were able to come up with these magic potions and spells that implemented security that actually worked. <laughs> and now <laughs> we have one of the oracles of the magic potions and spells that can come on and tell us how they did it. So Zane, what, in, in, kind of explain to our, our, our listeners like who may have heard the same things about what was happening at Etsy. Like, how did all that start and uh, how did it go down? Yeah, I don't know about magical oracle or anything like that. I think we just uh, we had a lot of yarn and everything there at Etsy, and we saw how much of that we could turn into a security program there. Um, our our running jokes there were really that we were defending against cross site stitching and sequin injection for the most part. <laughs> nice, um, <laughs> yeah, nice. But uh, yeah, I was the uh, I was the initial uh, CISO there at Etsy, um, and and built and ran our our security program there uh, in the beginning, and really I I think that. What was so exciting is at the time uh, when I joined, it was really kind of Etsy and Netflix that were pioneering mm-hmm. a lot of what we're now calling, you know, DevOps, CI/CD, mm-hmm. and kind of this this jump to cloud and everything like that. Um, and it was a incredibly exciting time to be there. There was plenty of times when I certainly needed to hit the security whiskey that was right there on my desk, but uh, for the most part, it was actually incredibly enjoyable. Um, and I think what really what really helped us out throughout that was that there was such a executive uh, leadership buy-in in terms of security and really this fundamental understanding that, you know, because we were some of the first ones going through this shift, that there was a lot of freedom to experiment and to try new things with security. And I think what we really got to there is what we're all really now seeing across the security spectrum, which is that security has to shift to being this actual enabler, enabler instead of this kind of historical legacy blocker on the business. Now, I have a question for you on that. Um, so yeah. I've always been very interested whenever you have people that are working within programs that are kind of dynamic, kind of future le- leading programs that do really awesome stuff, and then people like yourself move on. So what was it that, an opportunity that actually pulled you away from that to kind of go off into the direction that you did? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really, I had, I mean, I had no intention of, of leaving Etsy there. That was, that was really a quite exciting time. Um, and really what, what ended up happening is my, my co-founders and I, um, the more that we started talking with our peers across the industry and the more that we started thinking about, hey, if we were going to go become CISO somewhere else, what are the capabilities that we know we're going to need to rebuild at every organization? And the more that we talked to other, you know, our peers and across different industry verticals, the more we heard the same kind of questions about everyone starting to go down this journey towards DevOps and towards cloud and everything like that. And we recognized that if we really wanted to help more people, we really needed to uh, shift over and build a product that multiple organizations could use and not just run a security program inside one organization. So if you had told me five years ago I was going to become a vendor, I would have had 
a lot of four letter words for you. Uh, but what we really saw over time there was that's really the, the approach that we could take to help as many organizations as possible. So essentially, exactly. Zane, you were out drinking with your buddies and you're like, <laughs> we could do this vendor thing. <laughs> hey, hey, let's start our own company. That sounds like a good idea. I mean, how many times have you all heard that shouted at the Galleria Bar at Black Hat and things like that? But uh, I, I think for us, it was really, it became... When we really started thinking about it, we, we really started realizing, hey, that's how we can help so many other organizations that are facing the exact same challenges. And we really got excited about, for ourselves, the challenge of being the sort of vendor that we always wished we could have worked with when we were dealing with vendors ourselves. Mm. Uh, so, Zane, when you were uh, at Etsy, how much of the you know security program that you implemented, like how much of it was process, how much of it was just general technology such as cloud, and how much of it was security technologies and technical stuff? Yeah, I think you know for every organization that's going to be a different blend. You're obviously exactly as you're saying. You're obviously going to have the blend between the three. But I think that the the key is not to think about it in terms of like oh it's going to be you know forty percent this and thirty percent this and thirty percent this. It's going to be okay. What what blend is actually right for my organization? Where I am not this blocker. I'm not going to go heavyweight on one that actually slows the business down and gets in the way of these other teams, what is the right blend for my organization where, you know, in my case and, and in Etsy's case, it was how do we get very light touch on the policy side? How do we think about technology approaches and general security technology there, but think about it in a way that's not a very heavy handed approach, but rather much a stronger focus on how can we gain real visibility here? How can we gain monitoring capabilities and how can we do it in a way that doesn't impact people's ability to actually do their jobs? So what was the problem you were identifying or one of the major problems you were identifying that you said, we're going to go off and create signal sciences to really solve this problem? Yeah, for us, it's, it's really on the web application uh, security side, right? It's that as, as you're a defender, whether you're a developer, whether you're a DevOps engineer, whether you're a CISO, a security engineer, we're really seeing these, there's multiple forces at work right now, right? There's the... in people embracing DevOps and embracing the cloud. And as part of that, you're seeing the pace of applications being created and delivered just rapidly increase. Right? For all of us that, that lived through the waterfall world where it was 18 months between releases, mm -hmm. and now you're seeing organizations trend towards releasing every month or every week or every day or every hour, that completely changes the way that, that we, pro we approach uh, security in general and application security specifically. And so because we were going through that jump, we really saw how much of the, uh, the current approaches just fall over, right? They were built for a different world and they were, they were large, you know, they were effective to some degree in, in that previous world. But in the, the world that we're seeing now of DevOps and cloud and everything like that, we need to adapt the way we approach security. And so we, we tried and iterated so many different things at, at Etsy on that side um, and spectacularly failed at a bunch of them, right? And I think it was really that, that constant iteration and really trying, okay, does this work? Does this work? Where we finally got to the point of this collection of lessons learned that we recognized we need to take these capabilities wherever we go, that that's really what led into Signal Sciences is we turned that into a product that our customers could drop in and get those sort of capabilities of defending their applications in a modern way uh, without having to spend the years and years and years of, of pain that we did having to go through all this stuff. So when we talk about securing uh, application software, or web applications, as an example, 
we get into this alphabet soup, and Zane, you and I talked about this uh, previously. And John, yep. we've covered this alphabet soup, right? There's SAST and DAST and RASP, and then combinations of the two. I I asked, is that how you say that? I I asked. Yep. I asked. We we had a whole episode where we made fun of that. Yeah. So, <laughs> in for those following along at home, your uh, acronym bingo cards are probably getting pretty full. But basically, right there's static testing, which is the developer looks at the source code. There's dynamic testing, where you're testing the application remotely uh, and then there's this kind of new uh, blended approach that uh, called RASP right where it kind of sits inside the uh, the web application scanner uh, and then you have web application firewalls that are kind of off to the side and you have next generation web application firewalls which kind of play uh, in this mix as well and so what I've been trying to figure out for a while now and I think I, I'm getting it but Signal Sciences does something completely different from all of that so like where do you fit in in the in the market and how does your technology work to uh, be better than all of those uh, different technologies and overcome some of the shortcomings yeah so I'm actually talking about um, uh, exactly to to your point of all of these different facets and, and alphabet soup of, of AppSec. I'm actually talking about that at RSA coming up on like, hey, here's how all of this alphabet soup actually changes because mm. the way we did all of those things 10 years ago completely changes in this sort of modern world. Um, on the signal sciences side, you know, what's kind of funny is we're... Uh, we, we do not come from a marketing background where we want to go and throw a bunch of alphabet soup and everything there or just shout the word cyber 18 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were really focused on like what solved our problems there. And so what we've seen now on, you know, on our customer side of things is we've seen people bring us in under WAF projects. We've seen people bring us in under RASP projects. And we've seen people bring us in under, hey, we're looking for something new in application security that yeah. is actually effective in helping defend our applications, right? I don't care what you want to call that. I, I'm We're really interested in working with folks that are defending their applications and looking for a actually effective way to do that. So Zane, uh, John and I, uh, as we were discussing right before the show, we read a lot of these press releases and marketing materials from uh, enter- from security companies, not just enterprise security companies, and uh, we try and make sense of what their products do. This is a unique <laughs> opportunity where, John, you and I get to ask Zane, like, what does your product do and exactly how does it work? Which is, I think, awesome. We like getting answers, yes. like real answers that aren't like, what we do is we take leverage and we synergize that leverage <laughs> in order to maximize ROE. <laughs> I mean, you really need to take that for out of the box thinking in a cybersecurity world That's for right. some machine learning, right? <laughs> That's oftentimes yeah, well, the answer. May- maybe, maybe we can jump straight into distributed ledger algorithms uh, or something of that nature. <laughs> That'll be coming up this next. Point. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, on our side there, I'd really say it's to answer your question on that side, right? I'd say it's really two things, right? We, I'd say the closest we come to the alphabet soup sort of thing is we really provide this web protection platform that focuses on the two things that I really care about as a CISO in terms of defending my applications, which is defending my application against the things that I really care about, right? The, the attacks on sensitive business logic, on attacks on my like account takeover, and w- knowing when my attackers are actually discovering real issues and trying to exploit those. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't care about just focusing on XSS or directory traverse or things like that. Honestly, and 
in the modern era, that should just be table stakes for anything on the application security side. It should really be this focus on the threats that actually keep me up at night in terms of attacks on my core sensitive business logic and things like that. So I'd say that's one half. And the other half that I really need to think about as a CISO is how do I get strategic coverage of those capabilities across my organization? Because I've got so many different tech stacks and so many different groups that are working together. I need something that has a a architecture that's flexible enough that's going to be able to work across all of these different groups and not just something that I can only work with one particular team and now I don't get to cover the rest of my entire application portfolio. So really those two sides, I'd say, are kind of the, the holistic picture of what we do of defending against the, the sort of attacks that actually keep me up at night as a CISO, right? your business logic, your your account takeovers, as well as your SQL injections and your XSS and things like that, but doing it in a kind of modern, flexible way that works across your cloud infrastructure, works across containerization, works regardless of the infrastructure choices that you've made so that you can embed into the application or into the web server or function as a reverse proxy. Yeah, I was going to, okay, so I was going to ask you about that specific point, Zane. So uh, yeah, your uh, deployment model, where your soft, some of your software sits, right, is Inside of the web server is one example. Inside of the application server, it could be another example. And then as a proxy server. So basically like the the best of all worlds, right? Um, it acts as kind of like a WAF in the proxy server mode, but it can sit inside the application server like RASP. Yep. And then I guess for a start with this, like how do you interact with the, the, the web server kind of piece? Yeah. So I mean, for all of those, I think stepping back one second and then answering the, the question sure. directly is that, you know, really when you're coming as a as an enterprise defender, you know, and somebody asks you what technology stack do you have, your your answer is yes, right? Because mm -hmm. you have everything. Uh, and so I think the real key is not focusing on one particular deployment option, but having the menu to be able to choose that when you go to one application team, you can say, hey, here's the menu, you can choose whatever works for you. And then when you go to a different application team, you've got this menu to present as well, and you have options for all of the different teams that you work with, so that it's not just security trying to show up and, and force one particular model on every team, but actually providing a menu to see what works for the different teams, and that's how you really get coverage across your enterprise. Mm -hmm. um, to, to your question and, and how we plug in and everything there, um, there's a variety of different ways, right? We can do like a, a simple module that plugs into Nginx or Apache or whatever the web server is. Like you said, we can drop into the language or like the runtime there as well. Or you could deploy us as a reverse proxy if you don't want to touch any of that. Right? The real key is providing that menu so that when you as a security leader are bringing this to your organization, you have a menu to present to them because the reality for us as security leaders is so often our challenges are not technical, they're actually political in bringing these to the organization. And so when you can bring this sort of menu, it really sidesteps a lot of those challenges that we haven't actually deployed. So Zane, what, what types of things are you looking for uh, it, when you're deployed in any of those scenarios? What types of things and how are you looking for them that actually prevent attacks or help monitor enough that you can identify either vulnerabilities or attacks? I'm assuming you probably play in both areas as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you really need to play in, in both areas today, right? And that was that was a big problem we always had as buyers of the, the kind of legacy approaches in that space that really just focused on a couple small, narrow windows, which is, you know, if I'm going to go through all this political and technical effort to deploy some technology across my enterprise and it's only solving XSS, mm -hmm. like forget about it, right? I don't, I, if I'm going to go through all that effort, it better help me with much bigger problems there. 
Um, and so that's really, in our case, that's really what we had to build ourselves in a previous life. And that's what we provide today on the signal sciences side is, you know, obviously coverage over your classic OWASP sort of injection issues of SQL injection and XSS and things like that. But again, I'd really say for modern application security approaches, and certainly for any modern vendor, like that should just be viewed as table stakes, right? Like really what you should be focused on providing your customers and providing your enterprise is coverage over the sort of attacks on sensitive business logic of the applications, right? Whether that's account takeovers, whether that's funds being transferred or items being purchased or messages being sent, whatever the sensitive business logic of your application, getting visibility into that and defensive capabilities over it, that's really the key. And so we sit on the web server or in the application or anything there in terms of where you want to deploy us to give you visibility into that, to defend against it there. Um, and so, we do that as a... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just, just going to say, so I got a question. You have, the, uh, you have the ability of showing attacks, but you also very heavily talk about the concept of anomalies. And yeah. <clears throat> I think that that's really, really cool. The question I have is how receptive are your customers to that concept of anomalies? Because a lot of customers have no idea. I mean, they have a hard enough time just kind of keeping up with the idea of an attack. How do you even get them to the point of dealing with anomalies? How many of them understand that? Or is there a lot of handholding and training that has to go along to understanding what the concept of an anomaly-based analysis? is totally so let me set up first kind of the context of why we bring that in and then talk about like why actually customers get really excited about that um it's, it's a little bit different than you would expect which is that it actually gets really embraced um but the reason why we focus so much on anomalies as well you know whether that's anomalies in the request or anomalies in the source of traffic hitting the application or anomalies in how the application is behaving is i, I think all of us really come from a pen testing background so my background before etsy was at isec partners um, and for all of us on the, the pen testing side, right, you know what the attack chain actually looks like for discovering web vulnerabilities and starting to exploit them. And it's not just throwing a single SQL injection attempt at a web application and suddenly succeeding, uh, although we probably all have those stories from way back in the day. Uh, the realistic, you know, actual attack chain there is you need to go through a reconnaissance. You need to start to trigger issues in the application. You need to figure out what your exploit payload can actually look like and then exfiltrate data and things like that. And along the way, you're generating tons of anomalies across the application there. And so in our case, we really provide that visibility across not just the attacks, but across the anomalies as well, because when you're able to stitch that data together, like we do, you're able to actually present a much clearer picture of not just that somebody attempted 10,000 SQL injections against you today, because that's every day on the internet, but this is where they're actually discovering real issues, and this is us defending against them right here. Um, so to your original question then on, do people find that useful? Do you have to kind of train folks on that? The interesting thing is, is that we actually see customers get really excited because this is all data that development teams and DevOps teams work with every day, right? So they actually understand the concepts of anomalies in their application extremely well. And I think this is part of the larger shift of effective approaches to security in this sort of DevOps world is just as DevOps function by breaking down the silos between development and operations, modern approaches to security, whether you want to call that DevSecOps or SecDevOps or whatever we're calling it this week, um, the modern approach there is really about bringing security context across the organization to the development teams, to the DevOps teams. And so by bringing that anomaly visibility and everything there, what we see is that 
our security customers can bring this to development teams and they actually get super excited on day one because they're saying, oh, this is visibility that I wanted anyway and you're layering security data on top of it. This is awesome because now I can kind of take control of the security of my own application and I can really start to become security self-sufficient, which is the only way that we actually get to scale as defenders, right? We need to be able to enable the development teams and enable the DevOps teams. John and, and Zane, it, it kind of sounds similar, John, uh, specifically what we're doing at Offensive Counter measures, right? And yep. looking at network data and looking for anomalies. And, and I think that's kind of where John was somewhat leading into is that, you know, we'll look at network traffic mm-hmm. and say, well, okay, for example, this host on your network made 80% more DNS requests than any other host on that network in a 24-hour period. Therefore, that's an anomaly. It's either misconfigured, right? Or mm-hmm. there's uh, someone doing DNS tunneling. It sounds like, and in talking with, with Tyler Shields, who also works at Signal Sciences, that you folks do a similar kind of analysis, but for web applications. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think you, the combination of the two is what provides actually effective defense, right? You know, you just saying, oh, somebody attempted a SQL injection or just saying, oh, there was an error code from this application they're not super useful in isolation. It's when you can start to bring this data together and then empower the rest of the organization with it, that that's when you get truly effective approaches to defense, just like you're talking about there. Now, Zane, do you also look at um, like profiling requests as a way to detect attacks? In other words, if you're monitoring the application and you say, well, you know, every time someone hits this part of the website, mm-hmm. the DNS request sort of, or the uh, uh, database request sort of looks like this, and the response sort of looks like that, and then when in a SQL injection attack comes, like the request and response look totally different. Is that right. a method that you're, because you're taking that data from the web application putting in the cloud and doing analysis. Is that some of the things that you're looking at as well? So we we do some of that, but we focus on the deeply practical side. So we do that, and I realize I'm a, a vendor right here, uh, you know, speaking randomly. And so when I when I say this, take it with a pinch of salt. Um, but the reason we focus on the really practical sort of anomalies there, and combining it with that sort of data, specifically so that we don't make crazy claims about saying, oh, we have insane machine learning and everything like that, where yeah. we're going to go into learning mode for three months on your application, and then we promise it'll work after that. Uh, what we actually see with customers is that because we focus on the sort of deeply practical anomalies, that they're able to drop us in and it's actually working on minute one of deployment there. Again, I realize I'm, a, I'm now on the vendor side of my career, so take that with a pinch of salt, but that's, uh, that's what we actually see with our, our customers. No, I think it's really interesting how you're doing that without uh, any kind of extensive learning. And again, that kind of sounds like similar, John, what we're yep. uh, doing on the network side. It's just, you know, we kind of know which pieces that we can try and put, put together or compare yeah. uh, to detect an anomaly. It sounds like that's the same, same thing as happening in a web application. That's exactly it, right? Sim- very similar philosophy there. That's pretty cool. So do you have some examples of um, like what types of things that you look for or what types of things that customers are like, wow, that was really cool. Like, Where are your customer kind of aha moments when they, they look at the results? Yeah, definitely. I'd say some of the, the most recent ones have really been around on the, the sort of business logic side. So I have to keep them a little bit vague to avoid uh, identifying any customers or anything like mm-hmm. that. But really in terms of, oh, you know, we saw this big spike of anomalous logins here that indicated a, a wave of account takeovers for our application. And we were able to detect that and mitigate that instantly because of the, the visibility that we had here. There was another case where we saw customer a customer that was in the financial services space that they saw this 
they they deployed us. They got visibility over um, when users were adding payment instruments to their account, and they were able to say, "Oh, we actually detected now when this user did a big spike in adding uh, payment instruments to their account, indicating that actually they had you know a big batch of stolen credentials and everything there that they were using to add uh, using to add accounts and everything like that." Hmm. Um, so we we saw that with the financial services customer there to detect that and mitigate that. Um, we've seen other folks on the kind of like we went when we were talking about the alphabet soup style things yeah. and you know re- replacing different um, replacing different vendors and stuff there. We've had uh, several actually extremely high profile customers who deployed us in in our really early days and let us bake for quite a while and came back to us several months later and said we actually ripped out some of the the major WAF vendors here because we had deployed you guys behind them and it's just night and day between this and we're actually able to get real protection over our applications now um and it was really it was really exciting hearing from their engineering teams of saying like yep we spent we pulled six months worth of data on this we went through everything here and this was a no-brainer um, Zane, one one last question, and, and this is something that I, I've um, kind of pledged to my listeners that I would I would research. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Shay Chen from StackToolsMarket.org. Uh, no, I'm not, unfortunately. So he did a, a very extensive and continues to a very extensive um, uh, review and testing of dynamic application uh, testing software from commercial vendors and open source. He developed his own application that he tests against called WavSep and Mm -hmm. produces this information for free, uh, which is awesome for the community, refuses to go work for a a web application (laughs) vendor, which is just, I'm like, dude, like props to you, man. Like you could totally, (laughs) any one of those vendors is going to go hire you to make, you know, their product uh, great. And he he just won't do it because it'll taint the, you know, the results. So um, when I look at all of these other technologies, like I asked and RASP and in your technology from Signal Sciences, is there a, a way or are there talks about how we can evaluate them to figure out like exactly how they're going to protect attacks, how effective they are in, in certain scenarios? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to follow up and have an offline conversation with you on that one. I think that's really exciting. Um, I'd say, you know, in the meantime, um, what I've tended to look for in terms of, you know, in my previous life of as a buyer of vendors and everything in that space is both how much real data I can get like that and taking a look at the vendor themselves and seeing, you know, who comes from a defensive background themselves, right? Who's been in the trenches, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with me as a CISO and has actually had to solve these problems in-house because you really see some of the most interesting and actually effective security technology come out from those who've had to solve these problems ourselves, right? And wasn't just a vendor hopping around into a new space or something like that. But for those of us who've really been there and, and defended real real applications, regardless of whatever the, the technology is, I'd say that combined with as much real data as I can get, that's absolutely how I take a look for great vendors. Nice. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and John, I don't know if you or your team has come up against any newer web application uh, detection or mitigation technologies. I haven't seen much published on it. I haven't heard many people talking about it. One of the big problems that we see in many organizations that try to implement a traditional web application-based firewall is the web application-based firewall, much like you're talking about, has the ability to detect many different traditional attacks. And slight obfuscation basically bypasses a lot of those traditional black, uh, kind of blacklist detection algorithms that are in many of these products. And that's yeah. why the anomalies and being able to tie it across an entire application, not just looking for, like you said, table stakes attacks, is very, very interesting. But we do see more and more organizations implementing them, but the two big problems 
problems we see are they're either too restrictive and they miss a lot of kind of exotic attacks. Or the other problem that we see is whenever you have a web application, let's say the application is size X, and they implement the security technology over the top of it, and then all of a sudden size X grows by 50% over the next couple of years, and that additional 50% is not protected at all because they didn't go through and identify the different forms and the input fields and the pages that were there. So those are some of the common problems that we see with many of these web application firewall vendors that are out there, is you have to identify what is the scope of the universe that you're trying to protect. You have to identify the input fields, and then they have very rigid signature-based detection for looking for attacks, which works for detecting a lot of things like cross-site scripting, SQL injection. They do very, very poorly with business logic attacks, and they do very poorly with applications that tend to scale and grow over time. Exactly. And I think that the fundamental problems there, I mean, we had those exact same challenges, uh, challenges as AppSec professionals ourselves uh, and as buyers ourselves. And I think that the real, there's two forces at work, which is that uh, one is that, you know, the, the move from, from attackers, from just focusing on kind of XSS and SQL and that sort of stuff up to really attacking core business logic, that's one force at work. And the second force at work is what you talked about of the application grows. You know, in the waterfall world, it only really grew every 18 months. As we're all shifting into a sort of DevOps and Agile world, that application is growing every month or every week or every day. And so those problems are really compounding uh, the, the inherent limitations of legacy WAFs. And we... We saw that ourselves, and that's really why we had to go invest so much engineering time ourselves uh, back in the day, really building fundamentally new approaches to these problems. Fantastic. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a short break and come back. We're going to talk about the uh, enterprise security news for this week. So make sure, and Zane's going to stick around to, uh, to help us with our discussion. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Logarithms Netmon Freemium delivers real-time network visibility to quickly identify emerging threats in your IT environment. Netmon Freemium is a free commercial-grade network forensics and traffic analytics solution. You can use Netmon Freemium's powerful capabilities to search against all of observed network traffic, identify abnormal traffic patterns and application usage, and quickly analyze full packet captures. Take the first step towards real-time network visibility. Visit logarithm.com forward slash freemium to learn more and download it today. Waterfall Security Solutions the market leader in unidirectional gateway technology. Their industrial cybersecurity technology protects critical infrastructures and control systems from remote online cyber attacks. It's installed around the world, including nuclear plants in the U.S. and electric grids. Their unidirectional security gateway creates an impassable physical barrier preventing communications from flowing into the industrial control network, enabling safe and secure IT and OT integration, remote monitoring, and cloud services. Visit gowaterfall security.com forward slash enterprise security. The first 100 listeners who register will receive a free copy of SCADA Security, What's Broken and How to Fix It, written by Waterfall's VP of Industrial Security, Andrew Ginter. Signal Sciences is the industry's first web protection platform that works in any cloud, any container, any platform as a service, and any modern application architecture. The Signal Sciences web protection platform can be deployed in next-generation WAF, RASP, or reverse proxy modes, giving customers ultimate flexibility and coverage. Protect your web applications with Signal Science's web protection platform, Signal Sciences, securing code and connecting teams. For more information, check them out at signalsciences.com forward slash ESW. Welcome back, everyone, to Enterprise Security Weekly. I'm, of course, here with John Strand and our guest host for stories this week. Sticking around, Mr. Zane Lackey from Signal Sciences is here. We're going to kick it off by talking about the distributed ledger algorithm. 
John, you're going to tell us all about it, apparently, in the three minutes you had before the show to, <laughs> to skim this article. All right. So I read this a number of times. And what this particular article in Mr. Mark Anderson is, or Mark Harmon, uh, Mance Harmon, sorry, um, is kind of missing is a lot of people, whenever they look at computer security, they tend to look at computer security as a series of problems that can be solved with algorithms. Um, Bruce Schneier is one of the people that talked about it a lot. He used to say that almost all of the issues in computer security could be solved with crypto. And now that he's a little bit older and he's a little bit wiser, he's kind of come around and he said, you never attack crypto directly, you, you attack the implementation thereof. And all of these systems seem like they're absolutely wonderful security systems, but it's always the implementation of these systems that get you into trouble. So the problem, I don't want to say I have a problem with this article. It's an interesting concept in talking about distributed ledger algorithms, especially whenever you're starting to host data in multiple different locations. And it's going to become more and more important whenever we start looking at distributed algorithms like uh, Fast and a number of other algorithms that are being developed by Google and Netflix, where you can have your content distributed across multiple different endpoints and you can use multiple streaming um, in parallel to multiple endpoints to basically make sure that you have resiliency and speed speed. Wonderful. But then when you start reading articles like this, you start getting into problems where he breaks down and he says, this particular approach, distributed ledger technology, appropriately applied, and that's a big if, practically eliminates entire categories of attacks. And he says it completely eliminates the category of attack of changing history or denial of service or influencing transaction order. And yeah, that may be, the math associated with it may be solid, but that little thing that he put in like parentheses saying appropriately applied is the biggest single problem with this hmm. is almost everything seems to be incredibly solid until it actually gets implemented technologically and that's where you can start attacking it so it's an interesting article but it's more academic than anything else are they applying this to identity management given that it, it's coming from ping identity management it, it has to, because whenever you're starting to deal with systems that are clustered all over the world, that concept of identity needs to be federated across every single one right. of those endpoints. And that's probably why it's on the ping blog. Mm. Interesting. Um, let's see. <clears throat> what else are we talking about? Next generation antivirus, John. Go! <laughs> <laughs> so we got right. some. We do. We well. John's uh, team at Black Hills Infosec. Just for those that don't know, they do a lot of research in bypassing AV. Largely, uh, just as a product of environment. You're on a penetration test. You have to bypass antivirus. Um, mm-hmm. And we did a webcast on that. And there are uh, technical segments that are running on Paul Security Weekly to show you how how that's done in a lot of different scenarios. And so when we see articles about antivirus, John, I just kind of snicker a little. I, I, I think that you're setting me up. Uh, you have three you have three articles in a row, almost in a row, that are like clearly put here to bait me, mm-hmm. uh, like capnip for for a cat. So if we're looking at this one, Invencia, they basically say Invencia is the industry's number one performing next generation antivirus. And as soon as I read this, I looked at it and I'm like, who? Mm-hmm. And I and I feel like the guy on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So we don't really see Invincia very often at, at all, or if they're there, they're, they weren't really a factor at all. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is a lot of these vendors are trying to push forward the silver bullet analogy, right? And Invincia's press statement is like that. It basically says, flagship product that stops unknown malware, ransomware, and fileless attacks before they can impact. It, it, it's a load of crap, folks. And we got into a little bit of a Twitter war this week um, after we did the webcast 
uh, we had one gentleman who is a security researcher at ESET uh, basically called me out. And he said, in one of your slides and on your blog, it said that you were using virus total and virus total is crap. It completely disproves everything that you did. And we we're like, well, if you would have gone to the webcast, you would have saw that we actually ran it on real systems and we bypassed it as mm-hmm. well. And uh, he's like, oh, so now you're telling me your blog is just there to try to convince people to go see your webcast. I'm like, well, if you don't want to go to the webcast, we have a Dropbox with the individual slides and videos for each of the individual AVs that we bypassed. And he goes, well, you didn't bypass ESIT and Kaspersky, so therefore it's irrelevant. Um, We have some blogs coming out where we are going to be bypassing Nod and Kaspersky. But it's interesting to me how the AV community constantly gets whipped up into this this crazed kind of delusional space that they are the silver bullet. They, they don't try to sell themselves as what they are as part of the overall security architecture, not an end all be all of computer security. So it's funny because everybody, and you told me to calm down about this with the industry's number one performing next generation antivirus, anybody can make that claim, right? And it, it's just really hard because we dig through this crap all the time whenever we have reports and we're talking to CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, CFOs, and they read press releases like this. And it's very hard for them to try to get that reconciled with what they see in a penetration test. And they say, well, this vendor was supposed to be best of breed. We were running McAfee and they were re- looked at by NG- and was it NGSS Labs and they said that they were number one and you blew through it. Yeah, NSS Labs. Yeah, N- NSS Labs. So w- where's the reality. And I think that that marketing hype being put as news becomes very difficult for people to cut through. And if it's hard for me to cut through, it's very, very difficult for the individual security teams to cut through the noise of the marketing hype of these products. Now, Zane, you you must see this in your industry as well. Customers must come to you and say, well, I don't I don't want to do, and they don't say it like this, but like, I don't want to do any of the hard stuff with web application security. Like, I just want your tool and I want to drop it in and I want to say it's secure. Right. And that's a similar thing to antivirus, right? Yeah, I think I think John said it, it exactly how I've always said it in the past, right? Which is you think about different security technologies as a piece of your overall security strategy. Um, you know, if you find yourself if anyone's in the position where um, you know, you're believing the marketing that one particular vendor is going to drop in and solve all of your security problems magically, like there's, there's probably some challenges headed your way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I really think that, especially for plenty of CISOs that, that have been around the block plenty of times, right? You, we've all been so jaded by vendor promises and everything like that, that you really tend to think about, okay, how do I put vendors in place uh, as a piece of my overall strategy? And they can have real value. In, in that scenario, it's the not going for the strategy of, well, I bought one thing, so all of my problems are solved, right? I, I really don't think that's ever going to be the case, even for incredibly effective and incredibly great vendor technologies. Uh, I, I, I agree. Um, so this next story, um, it, it comes from Risk Vision, and I, I get confused with all the companies with Risk in the uh, in the title. There was Risk IO, and but now they're Kenna, and then there's Risk Sense uh, is another one, and it sounds like Risk Vision is uh, similar to a lot of these uh, companies that like to uh, apply services that build on other information you're collecting in your environment, such as vulnerability scanning. When I was at Tenable, you know, I, I looked at a lot of these vendors to see what it was that we're doing that was uh, really interesting to me, and I, I'm just I'm puzzled by their kind of tagline of, of threat is the new is the new risk. Because to me, those are two totally different things, and one doesn't become the other, in my opinion. This is 
this is a, a company that so fundamentally gets this wrong is a company that I would just run from. Um, and this isn't even like marketing hype. Like somebody actually approved this and they're going forward with it. So, so now my other, my other board, John, is uh, potential sponsors for the show. And I got my black marker on. I'm just, cross, just crossing them yeah. off. <laughs> crossing Risk them off. Vision is one of them. <laughs> I, I doubt very strongly they'll exist in 18 months, but that's just <laughs> me. Um, but if we're looking at it, let, let's talk about what threat is and what risk is. These actual words have actual meanings. So usually whenever you're looking at risk at its core definition, it has to have a vulnerability and a threat where they intersect. So if you're looking at a Venn diagram, it's two circles. And anywhere a threat and a vulnerability can actually interact with each other is where you actually define risk. Now, you can actually further elaborate on the definition of risk and put in cause of impact, likelihood of impact, and things like that. But at its, at its core, sufficient definition of risk has to have a vulnerability and it has to have a threat. And to basically say that threat is the new risk is taking a component that defines the thing and then calling it that thing. A threat yeah. is a threat and a risk is a risk. And not understanding those things... So such a base misunderstanding of terms that we use, like all of us hate the CISSP. We, we can't stand it, but all of us get it. And what it does do is it gives us a common framework definitions and terms, and that means it has a tremendous amount of value. And this is basically turning that completely around, not even around, it's trying to redefine it unnecessarily for the purposes of marketing propaganda. And that is extremely dangerous, and it shows that they fundamentally do not understand what risk is. Now, they are addressing a challenge that uh, many of us have, and that is when you discover vulnerabilities uh, in your network or when you discover threats, right, you have mm -hmm. to assign risk to them, to use the correct terminology. And what a lot of what's missing from, from tools and some of the processes that are in place today is they're not taking into account actually some of the things they mentioned in this press release, right? The operational things that you're doing, compliance things that you're doing, the analytics that you're doing to collect and understand maybe where your data lies, right? And I'm sure, Zane, you deal with this as well. As your product can identify vulnerabilities, you inevitably get the question, well, how do I rank that vulnerability? How do I prioritize from there? And that's where companies like Risk Vision are trying to play and, and prey on that problem and solve that problem. I'm curious how you answer that question, Zane, for your customers, because I, I know you get it, is that yeah. <laughs> you know, they say, I found this stuff, like, how do I prioritize fixing it? Yeah, I think it's, it's part of the overall shift in our defensive strategy, which is that what are your attackers, whether they're real or simulated, what are they actually discovering? Right? I think this is this big shift to visibility, whether that's your production web applications, whether that's your production infrastructure, whether that's your endpoints. But getting visibility into what are people actually targeting, right? Because I think that it is we've all we've all done this as as defenders where we've taken a um, a bug and we brought it back to a you know ops engineer or a developer or something like that, and we said, hey, this is really important. Um, and we've all gotten the response before. I'm, I'm flashing back to my pen testing days. It's like, yeah, but you know, you're experts. You're paid to find this. Nobody else mm -hmm. would find that. Um, yeah. And I think it's a fundamentally different conversation when you can bring real visibility to the rest of the organization and say, hey, this is where people are attacking you right now. And this is them discovering a real issue right now. It alters the course of that conversation. Um, and so I think that the, especially from the Penta side and, and, and John and Paul from, you know, from that side, that, you know, bringing pen test results and everything and saying, hey, this is how this aligns with a real threat because this is how a real threat actor operates and would discover this and everything like that. The more you can actually tie it to real scenarios, the more effective it actually is in communicating.
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it, kind of along those lines in uh, data gravity, I don't know if uh, Zane or John, you're familiar with data gravity. I'm a little bit familiar only because Andrew Hay works there uh, and I like Andrew. So uh, it automatically gives us more weight. <laughs> and essentially yeah. what it sounds like they're doing is in a virtualization environment, they're able to track the data no matter where virtually it's living or what virtual environment that it's living in. And that's somewhat speaking to what we're talking about is uh, identifying risk. One of the things that we didn't really highlight was not only knowing what an attacker might do, but also knowing like where your data is and how sensitive it is and where it's traversing. And I believe that's the problem that data gravity looks like from this press release that they're trying to solve, which I think is pretty good. I, I think it's actually a really cool idea, especially whenever you're talking about VM motion, virtualized environments and things yeah. getting shifted all over the place. I, I think it's cool. And the other thing, um, I'm not sure if they actually have this, but it used to look like the way it hooks is it's not in the operating system itself, but it's actually in the hypervisor and watching it. So that's cool because if you have a rootkit or something on the operating system, it will not see that it's actually being hooked and monitored for the virtual machine environment. And that's that's awesome. So I think that there's some really, really cool things that can be done with virtualization as far as security appliances, and this is just one of them. And this makes sense to me. Whenever you talk about virtualization exploding, you talk about data moving around and being able to protect that data in such a way that me as an attacker, I won't see those protections in place is just really, really cool. And, uh, you know, once again, Andrew works there. We know Andrew. Mm. We love Andrew. Andrew's never, ever, ever worked at a company that was a turd. And uh, that just speaks volumes uh, for, for the fact that he works there and kind of, kind of brings this product along. Yeah, I think when speaking what Zane was talking about earlier, you know, someone there that has been in the trenches um, is certainly, uh, you know, it makes it carry weight when you're talking to a vendor. So I think that's important. Absolutely. Um, there's a couple of IoT uh, stories in here. Now, Zixi and K2 have teamed up. And of course, now the, the article is, isn't pulling up, I think because I have an ad blocker. <laughs> so <laughs> we may have to, I think. I got it right here. You got it? Okay. Yeah. What what is the what is the gist of this one, John? I I it just looks to me. Well, I can't see the whole thing. It actually fades, and it makes me want to try to log in. Yes, but it, it looks to me like Ixia does really cool stuff. K two does some really cool stuff Ixia. as well. What did I say? I always say Zixia when I see that for some reason. It's I've always Ixia. heard it referred to as Ixia. It is Ixia. Uh, you are yep. correct. I am wrong in my pronunciation yep. as usual. And, and this is one of those companies that's been around for a long time and has done real dark wizard cool things with uh, network traffic generation and things like that. And uh, it, it honestly just looks to me like they're saying, they're just notifying the rest of the world, hey, our product can actually do IoT stuff. And it, it looks like it's marketing hype. They're cool companies, but they are absolutely doing some marketing to try to capitalize in on some buzzwords of the day. And speaking of which, Beyond Trust is in the same thing by offering a free cloud-based enterprise IoT vulnerability scanner. Yeah, and and is uh, is Yaffe still at Beyond Trust? Yaffe is still there. Yep. I yep. and, but, and I th- I mean, and granted, John and I are friends with the VP of marketing for Beyond Trust, Mike Yaffe. Um, and those who've watched, well, you know, Paul Security Weekly over the past eleven years have probably seen Mike uh, or heard Mike reference on that show as well. But um, I think this is a, a good thing, and I uh, actually have an entire model built around our podcast that if you know you're a, a vendor and you're you're giving something away, and sure you want people to buy your product, I get it. You're a business that's totally fine. I'm all for capitalism, right? But if you're taking portions of your product or special uh, projects and you're making those freely available to the community, and it's helping the community, that's cool. Like come on the show and talk about it. And I think this is, you know, they're obviously preying on a buzzword, but if this can help people. Better 
better understand the risk involved in, in IoT in their environments, I, I think it's I think it's a cool thing. Yep. And and if we're looking at like these particular things, people are probably like, well, they only get mad at marketing people that aren't their friends. That's somewhat not true because honestly, if Yaffe put out something that was complete crap, oh, we totally uh, call him on it. We would totally, call him on it. In totally. fact, we would call him directly. Yes, and <laughs> we would we would rip on him in the sh- on the show live, and he knows that. But <laughs> it's probably the same with Andrew too. Yes. But one of the fundamental differences there's basic marketing ambulance chasing, which is something that you expect because if you're not doing it, all of your competitors are doing it. You have to do that at some level. But if it looks like you took buzzwords, you threw them into a blender and you spun them all around and you kicked out a crappy thing, we're going to call you on it. And basically, these people are just basically standing up and saying, hey, we have something that can help with this IoT security issue. A lot of it's not new per se. A lot of times it's repackaging existing plugins and existing offerings so it actually shows up on a dashboard. Kind of like Cody. Uh, you remember Cody at Tenable? Oh, I thought you meant Cody like the application. That, no, 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 no. Like the Cody The Cody, Tenable. yes, yes. Uh, the guy who told me, that Ron at his house, told me that Cody was worth more to Tenable than you while we were drinking and smoking cigars. <laughs> hey, I mean, he was, he's absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Cody had this ability to take Security Center, and if somebody said, hey, we need a dashboard for IoT, and he could do that. Yeah. And he can make that happen. And that's cool. And that shows versatility in the product line that can actually react and create these different things for these different uh, like buzzwords and ambulance chasing things that show up. And I, I'm also very concerned, uh, IoT being very near and dear to my heart, in that enterprises, the, it's going to bite them, right? And one of the things that kind of pointed me to some of these IoT stories is, uh, John or Zane, I don't know if you ever uh, come across uh, IPMI, Intelligent Platform Management Interface, right? These are the... Little embedded computers that sit inside of really big computers to let you manage the really big computers, right? And if you read the recent Krebs article where he basically outs the person behind the Mirai botnet, which we'll be covering later on Paul Security Weekly, they reference an attack, a a DDoS attack that was built using IPMI compromised systems. And largely, I think those are built still today. Uh, and this was back in 2015, right? When they built the IPMI. Uh, and a lot of that research was coming out around then as well. And I think that um, the the uh, vulnerability that they're preying upon is default passwords or easily guessable passwords. Mostly default mm-hmm. passwords. And John and I were talking earlier, like the ability for organizations to very accurately and most importantly efficiently detect when a default password is in use in their organizations i think is still somewhat limited in my opinion i think vulnerability scanners do a nice job but you know as john said well a lot of people just turn that off because they don't want to either crash a device or trigger an account lockout so i, I still think we're in a kind of bad shape there Yep. And, and that's one of the things we were yeah. talking about in the pre-show banner with our webcast a couple of hours ago is there's tons of things that are not being tested. And that in and of itself should be a webcast. Like yeah. I'm usually not allowed to attack your users at home. I'm not allowed to attack their phones because those are their personal phones. I'm not allowed to do password spraying and a lot of things. IP is out of the question because you could accidentally <laughs> turn off all their servers, which would be really well, bad. <laughs> we have had situations during our pen test just by doing a simple port scan uh, where we have shut off lights for an entire building. 
building. Yeah. We have had a pen test where we were doing a UDP port scan and we hit a port and just by sending an empty UDP packet forced this uh, cash register line to eject, violently eject the cash drawer um, <laughs> from all of the stores. So these are the these are some of my favorite things uh, in pen testing, but it's also one of those things that we're always terrified about that we're going to trigger and we're going to have massive damage to an organization. So we tend to basically tread very lightly. Definitely. No, I think I think those are all real issues, but simultaneously, there is nothing more hilarious to your attackers than the concept of out of scope. Right. Yes. Yeah, I know. Right. I like it when we do something like that and we go to the customer and they're like, oh, we just ejected all the cash registers for thousands of stores. Uh, sorry. And you call your point of contact and they're like, that was awesome. You can do that. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. We, we, yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing can happen. We only, we only took out a couple of dozen cashiers that just happened to be like, you know, bent over getting something underneath the counter and the drawer just cracked, cracked them in the head. I shouldn't even be laughing at that, but for some reason that's funny. <laughs> It's like a fail video. It's a fail video right now. No, that's horrible. And that's that's why you're a bad person. Oh, in any case, I'm still very concerned about default passwords because I, I know everyone that does penetration testing is like, yep, I've used default passwords how many times on a test? On most of them? Yeah. The majority of them? Yeah. Well, quite a few. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay. Any other stories that looked interesting to you, John? No, I mean, we had so many this week. Uh, Fortinet, um, talking about different devices. What was it? You had one in here about Logarithm. Logarithm and Palo Alto. Um, Palo Alto. Yeah, that's that's the one I wanted to. Um, This was from last week, and I don't remember. Uh, It's a unified tool to reduce time to detect and respond to cyber threats. (laughs) And you, you you almost have to wonder if this isn't a trial balloon to see if a merger between these two companies or one buying the other one out is what's on the table. Um, I always find it interesting because Logarithm does network forensics and that's kind of Palo Alto's place. And uh, I don't know. It, it's just going to be interesting. It's, you know, kind of see them dance around each other for a little while and see when one buys the other. Yeah. I mean, and, and they're both pretty awesome vendors too in their own right. So, yep. But a lot of the other stories I think are just kind of, you know, not, yeah. not as interesting. I but, agree. Uh, all right. Awesome. Well, Zane, thank you very much for coming on Enterprise Security Weekly. Thanks so much for having me on, you guys. I, I really enjoyed this. Thanks, thanks again. I really uh, have a great time. John, thank you as always, and we'll see everyone on the next episode of Enterprise Security Weekly.